Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to the West Ham Breakdown in a week in which West Ham were in matches where nine goals were scored, scored five ourselves and still didn't manage to pick up any Premier League points. Um, yeah, off the back of a very disappointing 2-3 uh, loss to Brentford. Of course, I'm Jack Elderton. I'm joined as always by Callum Goodall. How are you? Yeah, all good, all good. Disappointed uh, again. <laughs> um, and we'll get into all the reasons why. But yeah, uh, outside of football, I'm good. Uh, went up to Manchester this weekend, which was nice. Um, apart from, obviously, it was raining, as it always is. <laughs> of course, of course, yes. Um, well, we're going to finish on Arsenal. We're going to try and get there. Uh, we've got a packed and absolutely rammed um, schedule today. Um, but we're going to try and get there at the end so we can finish on a little ray of positivity. But of course, there's so much to talk about after that Brentford game. So many things that were disappointing um, and so many things that have angered uh, fans. Um, so we've got to get through it all. Uh, but a good place to start is uh, in the last podcast before the game, we talked about the potential of going to a system that consisted of two strikers. Uh, we thought it would be a 3 4 one 2 we thought that would be a really good idea, as per John Goddard with his fantastic recommendation. It was two up top, but it was a four four two, which was a bit of a surprise. Um, what did you make of it, Cal? I thought it worked quite well in the first half, um, and then created us problems in the game that got worse and worse as it went on. Yeah, I think uh, on a macro level, I was pleased that we changed something. Um, I think we were both getting a little bit tired of us repeating the same thing and, and nothing changing. And it was nice to see us roll the dice. And and yeah, I agree that the first half, uh, definitely in possession, uh, I was really impressed. I think we created good chances. Uh, I think we were unfortunate uh, on a couple of occasions. On one occasion, we were... I don't even know if unfortunate is the word. It's just fucking ludicrous. But, um, yeah, that was uh, incredibly frustrating, um, as Ben Rama's uh, gesticulations <laughs> would suggest. Um, and I think had we had we put that one away, it would have been an entirely different game. So I think, yeah, from an in-possession point of view, I, I was pleased to see it. And I think it makes sense that that a four four two should work. Um, I think when you think about sort of the structures that we've used with Moyes, whilst we haven't rolled out with a with an all out four four two, we have often dropped into a sort of situational four four two, 
very regularly, whether that's a 4-4-2 press or whether it's a 4-4-2 mid-block. So it, it shouldn't be that unfamiliar, which is maybe why there didn't seem to be too much of a bedding-in process. However, fatigue started to kick in. Frank, with his little tactics board, making all these little tweaks throughout the game, clearly uh, <laughs> scrambled the brains of a few of our players. And I think asking them to play um, a new system against a team that are, are as imposing and tactically intelligent as Brentford... Um, it makes sense that the longer the game goes on, cracks will start to show. And unfortunately, the cracks uh, were, yeah, more than cracks. <laughs> they were gaping holes and some unforgivable mistakes, uh, in my in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to get pretty negative in this episode. I think there's quite a lot to, to break down. But I think if we want to sort of nice lead done. on a positive, then I think that first half is something to take away and think that there might be... Uh, potentially a sustainable system there or at least something that we can have in our back pocket uh if if plan a whatever plan a is isn't working we have the personnel to to run the 442 out now every now and then um and probably quite a decent little cast of options that we could rotate in various positions uh you could see a front two of kudis and bowen working you could see it with antonio and either of them whether you can see it with Ings is a different story that we'll probably come on to. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think that was the one positive to take away. Um, and now we will <laughs> we will discuss Descend. the negatives. <laughs> no, I think uh, the, the, the change of formation, change of system was probably wise. Uh, we were obviously missing key players for this one and we had to find ways to uh, put out a functioning 11 without Petson Alvarez, Lucas Bakata and Kurt Zuma. I think uh, the three at the back or five at the back, however you see it, would have been potentially more enticing had Zuma been available because um, individually, if you're looking at the three players we have in that area that um, fans are keen to see start um, to, to varying degrees, but Zuma, Mavropanos and Agard, you can see how they each fit into the slots in, in a back three quite nicely. Um Obviously, with Zuma unavailable, there is the option of either Ogbonna and Kera. We've talked about Kera as a back three defender. Um, Ogbonna, probably more so, I would say, um, for a game against Brentford, mainly for the reason that Tilo Kera um, has had real issues defending the back post. And if you see the problems that, that arose in one moment for Naya Fagard on Brentford's third goal, they're the kind of issues that, that Tilo Kera uh, standardises as part of his general performances <laughs> as a defender. So um, I can understand him not being um, included. I also think Albonna's really struggled uh, for form so far this season. I think everyone's seen that, um, that he's had some really horrible individual moments so far this season. So um, difficult maybe to to opt for the back three and um, resultantly without Alvarez, without Pakatar, um, a two up front uh, system clearly made the most sense in terms of ways to upset Brentford and, and create opportunities ourselves. Um, and I think we did that. I think we started the game really poorly, uh, but uh, reacted well to, to going behind and then had a period between uh, their first goal and um, our horrendous miss uh, where we were probably quite good. Um, aside from that though, it wasn't great. And uh, bringing it back to a macro level, um, that's, Another loss against Brentford, another game in the Premier League against them that we failed to take anything from. And um, it's becoming, well, it's not becoming a concern. It's it's something that we've known about for a long time and it, it becomes increasingly frustrating. 
Uh, but particularly with Brentford, I'm interested, Cal, you know, on a stylistic level, um, if you look at the goals they scored, if you look at the way that they attacked um, for much of the game, getting the ball out wide, uh, crossing, set pieces, long throws, um, for a David Moyes team, surely this should be the kind of game where you're saying defensively we're perfectly set up to be able to negate a lot of the opposition's strengths. And yet time and time again against exactly this opposition, we're coming away saying, well, we were soft from long throws, we were soft from balls into the box, we created problems of our own defensively on a collective and individual level that meant that we conceded goals that we shouldn't concede. And if it continues to happen against the same opposition and against this style, it becomes a uh, uh, surely a major concern given that that is what we would classically consider to be our main strength as a team being able to defend confidently against balls into the box and and wide focus build up yeah yeah it, it's incredibly frustrating i think there's two sides to it there's there's the side that it's hugely concerning because a Moyes team, like the the absolute foundational level of a Moyes system is that you have to get the basics right. The, and and more specifically, you have to get the defensive basics right. And if a Moyes system is not defending well, and if we're shipping goals, which in the last few games <laughs> we have done, we've not got uh, we've not got as a solid a defence as, as we have done over the past few seasons uh, under Moyes. And if that starts to become the case, then... You, you do have to start raising the alarm bells a little bit because we're not really firing on all cylinders up top either, I wouldn't say. So if, the, if it becomes sort of a, a long-standing issue, then then that really is a concern. Um, what I would say is that the flip side is that, yes, against, I don't know, your average Joe, Joe Bloggs FC, we would expect to outperform most sides in those key battles, the, the aerial battles, the sort of defensive solidity, solidity usher people outside. However, we've come up against Brentford, whose sort of core principles are not that dissimilar to David Moyes' core principles. They just happen to be, on current form, a lot better at them. Uh, and I think when you couple that with the fact that, A, I think Thomas Frank is, pro- well, I don't, I don't think it's that much of a much of a controversial thing to suggest that he is a better manager than David Moyes or at least tactically more uh, innovative um and more willing to roll the dice and more willing to spot issues in game and have solutions on hand to make in in, in 5 minutes and make those changes mid games proactively uh and secondarily i would say that there are a lot of players in that brentford side that david moyes would absolutely love to have and would probably start ahead of some of the players that he has in this current lineup so when you pit our opposition against that us losing those battles as frustrating as it can be aren't necessarily that surprising to me i think when you've got at least the center backs that we have on current form versus ethan pinnock and nathan collins on current form those aerial battles and i think part of it is the fact that brentford i think they get a bit of a bad um obviously everyone rates brentford but i think a lot of people consider them to be quite a defensive side but i think the they're defensive in their own half but they massively commit to getting players into the box 
um, when they're in the final third and they take a lot of risk um, in terms of getting midfielders into the box, getting people on the back post, committing all of their attackers to the box. And obviously they're very good at crossing. Uh, and then when you've got that, you've sort of, you've become overloaded in your box, which means there's always going to be a free man or a free-ish man. And the centre-backs are concerned about, well, which one of the players do we take? Because we're the most aerially dominant players in the defensive phase. So therefore we need to pick up the most aerially threatening players. But when you've got so many imposing <laughs> figures it, it means that there is going to be a mismatch somewhere and Brentford unfortunately for us are incredible at finding that mismatch whether it's a low cut back to the edge of the box or whether it's a sort of looping cross to the back post um, time after time we seem to get dominated all of those situations um, so yeah I think incredibly frustrating and the fact that we haven't yet found a solution really I know we had one cup cup result but even that performance I think when we when we watched it and, and reviewed it we both said that it wasn't the most inspiring performance anyway and we kind of came away with a result that perhaps we didn't necessarily deserve um, so yeah it's it's frustrating but not entirely surprising uh, for all the reasons given and I think unfortunately Brentford just at this moment in time seem to be a better team and have an incredibly talented and well-suited cast of players uh, to suit Thomas Frank's style of football. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. It's interesting, you mentioned Ethan Pinnock and, and Nathan Collins on form compared to our centre-backs, but Ethan Pinnock and Nathan Collins versus uh, Nia Gerd and Konstantinos Mavropanos on paper is not necessarily something that people would always fall on the same side on in terms of picking um, two centre-backs. But what I would say is that um, they made it look very simple defending balls into the box. I thought Nathan Collins was exceptional at yep. defending the box um, and attacking our box. And, um, and actually more interestingly as well, on top of the disparity between how both pairs of centre-backs defended the box, um, I thought Pinnock and Collins did a fantastic job distributing really well, really positive in possession, really accurate in possession. Um, Collins, carried it forward on a couple of occasions, sprayed balls out to both flanks, played some really great penetrative passes that broke lines in the midfield. I thought they were both so, so good at both sides of the game. And yet we've spent quite a lot of cash on Agurd and Mavropanos <laughs> to be good at knocking the ball out of the box, attacking balls into the box and building up. And yet, there was a huge difference between the two. And um, yeah, I just wanted to explore that with you and, and, and come to how we thought um, that, that, that shows up quite as dramatically as it, as it did. Yeah, it's frustrating. And I think 
listeners or regular listeners will not be surprised to hear the disdain in my voice when I discuss a GERD because I was so high on him. Um, and I don't think it was unfair to be high on him. I think he'd, he'd exhibited exceptional form uh, in France prior to us signing him. And he had all the sort of hallmarks of a good David Moyes centre-back. He was tall, he was relatively aerial, aerially dominant, and he was meant to bring that sort of progressive ability at the back that he had shown in France. And he was going to add that little that little bit of extra security in possession at the back. And to be fair to him, I think when he does pass forward in this side, he he has generally been good at it, um, or at least better than a lot of the options we do have. So I would argue that he has improved us in that respect. But I think what's been more concerning is that the stuff that we kind of assumed that he would sort of have on lock just as standard defensive principles haven't really materialised. And I think looking at the data, he's experienced a pretty significant drop-off both in terms of his defensive dual success, albeit marginally compared to his aerial dual success, which has dropped from at its peak uh, in his days of, in France, 64.5%, which is a very, very solid return for any centre-back. Uh, and this season is all the way down at 49% in the Premier League, which is a terrible return for any Premier League centre-back. And an even worse return for a David Moyes centre-back, where kind of the first thing you have to be able to do is to is to defend your box and, and head it out. Um, so that has been a, a real issue. Um, and I think even his passing into the final third has suffered this season as well. So I wonder if this does kind of speak towards a, I don't know if a crisis of confidence is a little bit too much because there's obviously a lot of moving parts around him as well that are underperforming that won't help. But again, a 20% drop off from his peak performance uh, for Stadron um, down to 58.3% when passing into the final third this season which is not not really good enough either um we've got center backs that are outperforming him which is 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 alarming considering he is meant to be the most progressive um i think part of the issue and and it speaks to a wider issue when it comes to scouting players i think is there is always an element of risk there's always a gamble when you're buying a player who at face value is is good at all the things you want him to be good at, but he's good at them in a system that's very, very different to the system that you want to deploy. So whilst he might have had exceptionally impressive numbers in terms of his defensive dual success rate and his aerial success rate in France when he was at Stade Rang, he was playing in a more progressive, uh, more front-footed side that played a higher line. So to just assume and take the gamble that, well, he's shown that he's good at it, so it makes sense that if he comes... And he's still good at it and we can slot him into a deeper line and a lower block. He should still be able to do all those fundamental things, but it it doesn't work like that. And sometimes the gamble pays off and sometimes it doesn't. And I think, unfortunately, at the minute we're seeing that he is, unfortunately, doesn't seem to be as well suited to that sort of lower block style of football where he has to defend a lot more in terms of the volume of his actions, which inevitably drives the success rate down. Um, he has to concentrate a lot more. He's asked to pick up markers a lot more often rather than kind of just sitting in a high defensive line in possession and waiting for the ball to be recycled, touching it down and then playing a pass back into the final third. We don't do that at West Ham. So I think not it's a shame. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, not often, not often enough. Um, and I think, yeah, against uh, Collins in particular, I think he, he comes up obviously in those sort of defensive moments on set pieces, long throws, whatever. He's coming up against a player that is in much better form um, and sort of transitioned from a side that weren't playing that dissimilarly in terms of possession and the style of football. Um, and therefore the transition was a lot smoother. And, and we've sort of seen that because he's 
Yeah, I mean, his Brentford form has been exceptional. And I think, yes, also he is six foot five, which certainly helps him in his aerial battles. But that isn't the be all and end all. Um, and I think, yeah, he's, uh, I mean, I was pretty hot on Collins when he arrived, but I certainly didn't think he would be as good in possession uh, as he has been at Brentford. And his passing numbers are, are crazy. And both him and Pinnock, um, I think we'll put above 85% in terms of their passing into the final third against us, which when you think that's 30% higher than a Gerd's average for the whole season at West Ham, um, combined doesn't make it look great. Um, tactically, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I wonder if there's a, a, a more specific reason that you would um, like to attribute as to why a Gerd is underperforming so much in this side compared to, uh, to what both of us, I would say, expected. No, not really. I think what you said about scouting is a really good point and that it doesn't always translate in the way that you want it to. Um, he was someone when, you know, I, I went through and looked at lots of um, a good footage run games before he arrived. He was someone that did make the odd um, defensive error. What was really noticeable, though, is that he would be quite good at recovering mm-hmm. and, and dealing with those. And I suppose if you're making defensive errors... 10 yards away from your goal, yeah. five yards away from your goal, it's different to making defensive errors 40 yards away from your goal. Exactly. Um, so, you know, that's maybe one of the biggest differences. Um, yeah, I just think to, to, to encapsulate this quite neatly is the, the two Brentford goals. I mean, Collins beats Mavropanos in an aerial, uh, in an aerial draw. I know he doesn't win the header, but he forces Mavropanos yep. into a position where he can only really try and head it up and over because he's had such a big shove in the back from Collins challenging from, for the same ball. And then he wins a header that should be a Gerd's 10 times out of 10, a hundred times yep. out of a hundred. That should be nigh for Gerd's to head away. There's no way on earth that a Gerd should be missing that header. Um, and there's Collins to pop up and, and, and win the game for Brentford, which actually, you know, I'm not sure if across the whole match, whether Brentford deserved to win it. They were definitely the better side, but we created enough moments going forward and had yeah. enough moments in the game. We were very much a moments team in this one um, to probably have taken a draw from it. But there's no sort of more correct outcome than the clear player of the match scoring scoring the winner for the team that were playing the better football for the whole um for the whole game really apart from maybe 15 minutes in the in the in the first half where I did think we were very good um I think one of the things that I do want to come on to and I should shout out briefly because we did have a question on on this which is about build up um came from Greg Richardson genuine question when Agurd Kara Mavropanos signed we were told they were ball playing center backs can play line breaking passes etc why do you think we're not seeing it playing out effectively, instructed not to, or not enough movement ahead of them. I think one of the things I do really want to talk about, again, I know if anyone has been listening to me drone on about West Ham for the last few years, it's been build-up, I talk about build-up, and then I talk about build-up, and then I talk about some out-of-possession stuff, and then I go back to talking about build-up again. Um, We're going to do it again, because... um, Yeah, I think one of the biggest things for me from this game is that although we come to all of these individual defensive errors, I mean, we could talk about the goals, right? And I do think we should maybe in a little bit of depth because although I don't, we haven't got time. So all I'll say is Alphonse Ariola has to do better on goals one and two, definitely commanding the penalty box. And then secondarily, on top of that, I would say the conversation becomes, oh, which is the better keeper? Who should start? Should it be Ariola? Should it be Fabianski? And if there's one thing I could agree in life on with Mikel Arteta is maybe his rotation of goalkeeper shout does make a little bit of sense because I don't necessarily want to see Fabianski come in against Nottingham Forest where we're going to have probably quite a lot of the ball at home because 
Ariola's not had a good game in the last one. Maybe what I would have liked to have seen is Fabianski, who's quite good at settling a defence and dealing with crosses, come in for a game against Brentford, who are going to punt the ball into the box a lot. Uh, you know, it, sometimes it's about picking the right person for the right game rather than just looking at it on a Mac, on a sort of less um, in-depth level. I don't know what, you know, the right way to say it is and just saying which player is not playing well and therefore they have to be rotated. That's not necessarily how managing a team works often it pains to say this it's not football manager you don't just because someone's not <laughs> hitting below a 6.5 you take them out and put someone else in and it fixes the problem that's it's not that's not how football works the solution is not always on the bench and it's about how the opposition play and what what player you're going to need in different uh, scenarios and Ariola does have positive attributes that he has brought to the side certainly in terms of more calmness when building up a lot less calmness when defending balls into the box and um what are we going to have to do against Nottingham Forest probably build up quite well um and, and that's what we're going to talk about. Let's, let's talk about it, building up. So, <laughs> like I was saying, you, you have all these defensive errors, um, goals one, two, and three, all three, you're coming to and saying, what is, what's happened here, right? You know, goal two, how is it good? Let the ball go out for a corner. Should never be a corner. And then Mavropano shouldn't get beaten. The ball, by the way, the cross has come in and is dropping, what, four or five yards out from the goal in the centre. So why is Ariola not claiming that or punching it? Surely he should be. That's definitely in his zone um and uh goal one is a complete mess all around um actually to be honest Sufal probably does a really good job of stopping the ball going in from the first cross and then blocks Wiss's shot and it comes out to Jensen it goes to Jano he crosses it in Suchek then heads it back into the box um and then it's just a mess isn't it Onyeka completely miscues his shot and it just unfortunately falls perfectly for Mope to nod it over Ariola and into the back of the net but again Ariola he's got the full picture Suchek doesn't have the full picture you can't see what's behind him Ariola can and he reacts really badly afterwards throws his hands in the air he's shouting at Suchek but he's got to shout like that when the ball's coming into yep. the box not after the ball's gone into the back of his net he's got to shout that loud that emphatically at Suchek to leave that and it go out and it's a goal kick. Um, and then goal three, as we spoke about, a guard should never be losing um, the aerial battle. But how does a team get into a situation where they can consistently lump the ball into your box, punt it in over and over and over and over again till something cracks and they get the goals that they're looking for? They do it by having control of a football match. And people have asked a lot of questions about what happened in the second half of the West Ham-Brentford game. Why was it so different to the first half? And a lot of it becomes a kind of narrow discussion about does David Moyes get his sides to sit off more when they're ahead? That is true. I, I thought Moyes coming out afterwards and being saying, you know, we, we really tried to push for another goal. I thought it was pretty pathetic because the numbers do not look like that at all. The performance did not look like that at all. We engaged less. We had less control. We attacked less. We reached the final third far less. Our PPDA went through the floor um, yeah. as soon as we got ahead in the game. So I can't see how anything the team did pointed towards us trying to control the match, go forwards and get a, another goal. It didn't look like that at any point um, in the match between us getting ahead and then Brentford going ahead. It was actually when Brentford went ahead late in the game and, and Jensen, who's someone we're going to talk about if we can fit it in at the end of the podcast, came off that we started to get maybe a little bit more into the game, could have started to come back into it after a period in the second half where he was genuinely not visible on the pitch for the first 15 minutes of the second half. 
Um, but that control is what changed in the second half. And it changed because where we had engaged in the first half against Jensen, against Noel Gard, tried to reset them, tried to get, win the ball back high if we could. Things that we saw in the Arsenal game, people were really pleased with. West Ham pressing a little bit more intensely, having Bowen up front, a little bit more energy in, in that position. Someone who can go out much more aggressively, buzz around, covers ground really, really well. All of this stuff. Brentford actually really good, just went 3-2 build-up structure. Not that they weren't doing it in the, in the first half, they were, but went 3-2 build-up structure second half. And we're actually, we're just not going to play through Jensen and Norgard all that much anymore. We're going to ask Collins to do a lot of the, the build-up work for us. We're going to ask the centre-backs to ha- take a lot more responsibility. Pinnock as well, Ayer to some extent, less so than the other two, because he became more of a centre-back in, in build-up, a right centre-back in build-up. Jan Elk released left wing-back or rotation with Jensen, Jensen left side, Jan Elk coming into a double pivot with Norgard. They triggered our press less, but we didn't have any response to that. So we just let them have time, let the centre-backs have time. So we're going to pass it side to side. We'll have a couple of minutes. We'll take control of the ball back here. You're not putting us under any pressure. Then we're going to put the ball out wide because it's hard for you to shift across in your 4-4-2. And then we'll switch it to the other side because that's where the space is. Very, very simple stuff here. Really, really simple build-up principles. Can we control the game from a 3-2? Can we play a little bit slower tempo? And then can we build and make usage of the switch and the space on the other side of the pitch to engage and burn earlier? Really nice usage of Onyeka in the game as someone who was making driving runs onto the front line. Mope drops, Onyeka goes. The centre-backs are, are fragmented then at that point because one's dropping, one's coming out. Emerson, the full-backs then, because the centre-backs are fragmented, do we go, do we stay? tend to drop off what are the principles at West Ham drop off if you can um, you know if you're unsure drop that seems to be what we yep. do in, in all situations so then Burmo drops and then he can receive the ball in space turn start running and then you've got attack after attack after attack coming down the wide spaces on either side but primarily down the right side and Burmo much more effective at this in this game than, than Wissa it did change a little bit again in the second half they went almost more 3-4-1-2 at one point, I felt with the with the with the forwards all coming close together um, later in the second half. But the point of what I'm saying is that Brentford were able to execute simple build-up principles, simple ideas of how to control a match, and that allowed them to continually punt the ball into the box. And what helped them? The fact that we just punted the ball away every single time we got it. And for uh, for me, it's that lack of ability in the team, that lack of in possession ability that creates so many of these issues defensively. Of course, I don't want to see individuals like a go getting beaten in aerial drills. I don't want to see Mavropanos heading the ball into his own net. And I don't want to see Ariola standing on his line, not saying anything and creating problems for players ahead of him. I don't want to see any of those things. I want those individuals to all perform to a higher level. And I can't personally give really a good reason for why Naya Fagerd looks so much worse than Ethan Pinnock in the, in the Premier League. That's not any disrespect to Ethan Pinnock, who I think is massively underrated and is a brilliant player and has been for Brentford. But Naifa Gerd came at a premium, performs really well for Morocco, performed really well in Liga for a team that were knocking around at the top of Liga. Why is he performing so badly at West Ham? You know, so obviously I don't want any of those individual issues. We just spoke about them all and how they're really problematic for us. But one way you can solve that is by being able to take control of the game with the ball a little bit. Give players respite. Slow the game down. Take the sting out of it, as people always say. Taking the sting out of it is not punting the ball up the other end, asking your two strikers to chase it by themselves and allowing the other team, who are sensible enough to not then lump it straight back the other end and create a basketball match, allowing them to, right, we'll slow it down, we'll build up, we'll get you settled in your shape, and then we'll start 
creeping further and further up the pitch until we're camped 30 yards outside your box and can go seven crosses in two minutes. At which point it becomes hard, I would say, for the defenders. Um, so that's 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 the biggest thing for me is it's something we spoke speak about a lot. I know it's that lack of successful and simple um, build up. And there are so, some things to talk about here. Obviously, Greg asked about those ball playing, so-called ball playing defenders that have come in. What's happening? Why is our build up not effective? We've improved the individual level across the back line in terms of the competency um of being able to build up but collectively the build-up has not improved so not not to a significant enough degree and that was very clear um in this match and why is that and one player that i do want to talk about i know we've talked about him already in this context but james will prowse why is thomas suchek taking more responsibility and build-up than the guy who's come from southampton and is thought of as someone who can be steady in possession that makes no sense is that coming from the manager don't know but certainly on an individual level from Ward Prowse, I need so much more. I need so, so much more. Because if you're getting beaten all the time defensively, a la Flynn Downs, half of last season, being caught out of position, creating problems for the centre-backs, not adding anything in terms of being a physical presence inside the box that can help out on crosses or any of that stuff. And you're also not giving me anything in build-up. You're not helping us stabilise in possession. From a deeper position, what are you bringing? Yeah, no, I agree. I think you've you've hit on all the all the right notes there. I think it's it was incredibly frustrating, and I think one of the biggest frustrations for me in terms of having sort of scouted the players relatively extensively before they all came in, and I think one of the things we all said and we have said on this podcast before is that probably more so than any other centre back partnership, and you can throw Ariola in there as well. I would have been saying before the game that a, a, a back a sort of triangle of Ariola, Agurd and Mavropanos is is arguably the most progressive triangle that we can run out with in terms of our in terms of the players in our squad. I mean Mavropanos is clearly more comfortable and more uh impressive and progressive in possession than Kurt Zuma on that right hand side. Uh, and Agurd is undoubtedly a, a more progressive centre back than Ogbonna. Um and Ariola I would say with the ball at his feet is is more comfortable than than Fabianski as well. Um so I'm really sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So those three shouldn't, shouldn't, emphasis on shouldn't, have an issue. I think the problem for me lies ahead of them in that with Alvarez and Paqueta both out of the side, you don't have the two players that of the midfielders are most willing to come and receive the ball in those sort of half spaces in the second phase between the sort of defence and the attack and sort of make things happen and help that transition happen more seamlessly between the defence and the attack and, and be those connecting links. And albeit Alvarez has received the ball in dangerous spaces and, and, and made errors. However, he is constantly looking to be the outlet and to receive the ball with his back to goal and then turn out and play the ball into the channels and, and progress through that. But in Suchek, I'm, I'm less critical because I've never, I've never expected that of him. It's not what he does. In Ward-Prowse, especially in a 4-4-2 where he is the one of the two that is more progressive, he has to take more responsibility. Maybe in a different midfield lineup, he doesn't because he has the Alvarez, he has the Paqueta who can do that for him and he can then look to find a pocket of space to receive it off of them in and have a little bit more more time and be a little bit more composed and comfortable receiving the ball to then play a forward pass. However, 
he is an experienced professional. He has been brought in to lead this team and particularly in a side where Pekita, Alvarez, Zuma are all absent, Fabianski. He is the captain of the side. He has to be the one that takes that responsibility onto his shoulders. He is a captain to national. Receiving the ball in midfield as a central midfielder should not be something that you're shying away from. But I did not see anywhere near enough of him trying to lead in that moment. When the ball, when the players have the sent. When the centre-backs have the ball, he should be the one of him and Suchek that are saying, hey, look at me, I'm in a pocket of space, give me the ball, I'm then going to pass it to Sufal, who's going to run down the wing. I'm then going to hit a switch out to Emerson, who's going to receive it in space. Why? Why the hell am I seeing Suchek hit a 50-yard diagonal pass to Emerson in the final third and not Wood Prowse? by the way. Yeah, yeah, it was an it's absolutely brilliant ball. But that sh- that is not that shouldn't be his role. That is Ward Prowse. He's... He's basically, he is a set-piece specialist. The one thing he should be able to do is fire a diagonal across the pitch with relative ease. And he should be confident enough to do it, but he's not. And that is that is the biggest issue for me to answer Greg's question at the minute. I don't think it's the centre-backs or the goalkeeper necessarily. I think it's, particularly in this game, an unwillingness for the midfield to contribute enough in the second phase, whereby we get to a point where the defence are kind of forced into playing over the midfield because neither of them are showing for it. Neither of them are getting into the spaces to make these things happen. And then this is undoubtedly compounded by the fact that David Moyes is not going to tell someone off for going long because by and large, he's pretty happy to go long anyway. So, Well, I think um, it's worth saying this at this point. Sorry to cut in, but it's worth saying no, that no. tactically it was a clear focus for us to attack the channels, to, to, to use the two forwards, um, to create space moving together bouncing off of each other using that kind of seesawing motion one draws one center back out the other one goes into the space and behind attacks the channel dragging the center back from the right side all the way across to the left side vice versa on the other side and then you get the straight balls from the center back very easy for for a girdle mavropanos big chipped ball into the channel and it'll be um sorry it'll be antonio for for, for mavropanos most of the time, sometimes Bowen, and it'll be Bowen for a gird half the time, yeah. and sometimes Antonio with the two strikers crossing each other and trying to create that problem for the centre backs, getting them out of their shape. I think it worked for us at times. I think it was fine. I think that was clearly the plan. It worked well in the first half. Why is there no adaptability? Yeah, and, I think and why are there no leaders on the pitch to say, "Hey, that's, yeah, that's we're exactly what I was going to say. I'm going to stop lumping it." And how yeah. about we play five passes? Um, I think that's it. I think. And as well, we've never we've never been good at this, right? We've never really been good at it under Moyes. Um, however, there were times last season where we were under the cosh and Rice would put his hands out and just push down a little. You'd, that sort of trademark Rice move, he'd put, calm down, calm down, calm down. And then he would come and he'd show, he'd either split the centre-backs or he'd sit just in front of a gird or he'd sit just in front of Zuma, receive, pass it out. And it's all, it's all those things that he used to get slagged off for. Oh, he's a sideways pass merchant. Oh, you can only play backwards, blah, blah, blah. However... <laughs> There is a real importance to that. <laughs> passing it backwards and passing it sideways is something that I would have absolutely have loved to have seen against Brentford at the weekend because it it For just resets. It just resets. <laughs> it's, let's just chill out a bit. Let's just work out what we're going to try and do here. And you need those players on the pitch that... I'm not saying a maverick that's just going to tell Moist to piss off and just ignore what he does, but you need someone who reads the situation in the game and goes, okay, I know that, yes, playing long and hitting the channels is by and large our tactical approach in this game. However, right now, it is causing us to be under a lot of pressure. And if this continues, the pressure is going to overwhelm us and we're going to concede. So I'm going to override the manager right now and say that I'm the one on the pitch right now. I'm the one that is experiencing this. I'm going to take control and just say that this is for the good of the team right now. And Rice used to do that. 
Ward Prowse should be the one coming in as captain in this game to do that, and he didn't. And yeah, where are the leaders? I echo your question that there needs to be players on the pitch that can read the game and are experienced enough, professional enough, calm enough, composed enough to just take that decision and just go, whoa, yeah, let's play five passes. Let's just slow it down. Let's force Brentford either to press us and play through the press, but we're shit at that, so maybe not. Uh, But let's just recycle possession enough and make gradual increments to sort of pin Brentford back or at least mean that if we do lose possession, it's, it's not quite so close to our goal, meaning that they can just sustain wave after wave of attack. And we, in the other... (laughs) in the flip scenario are the ones that are getting pinned back when really it should be us that are, like I say, sort of gradually edging closer and closer forward. Or you just sustain the press a little bit long enough, just pass it around a bit and then hit long. Don't hit long in the first pass. Play the five passes, invite Brentford forward a bit, give Antonio and Bowen 10 seconds to work out where they want to receive the ball and then play the long pass once they've sort of moved the centre-backs about a bit. But if you're just playing long on the first pass every time, it's a fucking easy job for Pinnock and Collins because all they've got to do is just stand there and go, oh, here we go again. And that's why both of them are coming out with ridiculously high aerial success rates because, yes, it's an aerial duel, but duel in what sense of the word? There's not really much dueling going on. It's just fucking head the ball. Well, I tell you what makes it a lot easier is when you continue continue with the same plan, but take Antonio off and have Ings up front, and then you move <laughs> Kudus up front, and you keep pumping it long to Ings and Kudus against Pinnock and, and Collins. What is the point? What yeah. is the? Why are we here? What is the point? What are we doing? Because conversely, obviously, yeah, strategically, tactically, it worked nice for us in the first half. You bring Ings on, you keep doing it. Your midfield is getting run all over. What this does not make any sense. This combines for something that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever you're playing to their centre-back strengths we haven't got someone now that's going to win a header and by the way even in the first half as much as I thought Jared Bowen did a good job up front he was getting battered in the air <laughs> he's yeah. getting battered in the air and understandably I wouldn't expect him to be winning aerial duels against those two centre-backs I wouldn't expect Danny like everyone yeah, Ings was rubbish but stop bringing him on and punting it long to him <laughs> yeah. even when he's in the front two he's still punting it long to him like he's a target man He's not going to win headers against Collins. He's not going to win headers against Pinnock. It's not going to happen. In fact, give me almost any centre-back in the Premier League. He's not going to win a header. The we same trying way to play won't. big man, little man with two little men. It's, <laughs> it's not going to work. No, and, and, and secondarily to that is you cannot, you just cannot on an individual level, you cannot have your two midfielders getting run all over on the second phase. Every second ball, where were we? We lost all of them <laughs> constantly. And even if we did win the second ball, we'd lose the ball straight away because neither had the confidence to beat anyone or the ability to beat anyone or the sanity to turn around and pass it back to a centre-back instead of lumping it forward again. Um, so, yeah, very frustrating. I can hear it in both of our voices talking about um, this game. Huge, hugely, hugely frustrating. And to bring it back to the manager a little bit, take it away from the players, because as much as there are all of those issues for the players individually, and I know we've talked about, you know, tactically, what you're doing with things on the pitch, you bring things on, take Antonio off, and you keep doing the same thing. Obviously, that is about the manager. But when we're talking about build-up, I have to say, I have to say, yeah, James Ward-Prowse didn't play well. Thomas Suchek shouldn't be taking that much responsibility and build-up. It's not his thing. It's not surprising that he didn't have a good game. Why am I seeing a 3-2 on the other side of the pitch? Why can I never see that on our side of the pitch? Why is it that difficult? How is it that hard? To, 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 why is it such a spaced out 4-4-2 when we're trying to build up? Can we not just for, even just for a second have 
basic build-up principles that the team can understand and execute on the pitch, maybe that's partly why on an individual level they're struggling so much. And I, it, it's not simple with David Moyes at West Ham. It really is not simple. It is, you take all of the good stuff, all that stuff that means we've gone really far in European, we even won a European competition, right? Take all that good stuff about counter-attacking, winning duels, being a good low-block team, being pretty good in a mid-block as well, having a good way of upsetting teams defensively by using a really annoying striker like Antonio that's annoying for everyone, his own fans, the opposition fans, the opposition, everyone's annoyed, right? He's annoying. Create space for other people, Bowen scoring goals, all that. Take all of that stuff. All that stuff comes with all of the issues that we see against Brentford, all the build-up issues and all the, all the other problems that we have in these games. And the big thing about David Moyes is these matches, the Villa match, the Brentford match. That's the big thing about David Moyes. Okay, Against the teams that are going to dominate possession in the league, I expect us to be effective. I expect us to be an effective unit against. I, in some ways, I've looked at this week, you look at Arsenal and Brentford, a lot of people would go, oh, we'll lose the Arsenal game, we'll have a good chance in the Brentford game. Think about what we are as a team. I come to the end of the week, I'm totally like, not surprised in any way that we've won the Arsenal game and lost the Brentford game. It makes sense that that's what we've done. That's classic us under David Moyes. But it's these exact games against teams like Brentford that you ha- that they're the margins for me. If we won those games, if we were winning those games, it would all stand up. It's us losing these games where I think we should, as a team at our level with our players and our team, be able to do simple things like Thomas Frank did in the second half. Ask the team to set up a nice little three-two, pass it around the back a little bit, give the centre-back some responsibility. If anything, we've got the players for that. Even with Thomas Suchek and James Ward-Prowse on the pitch, we've got the players for that. The centre-backs are there. They're good on the ball. Just, I don't even know. Chuck Emerson in there, for example, just as, a, as, a, as, a, as an additional player in that situation who can help you out. Make a little free-two. Sufal bombs forward. Lovely job. Perfect. Kudus between the lines. And all three centre-backs in that situation, whether it's Maver- Ma- a Gerd in the middle, Mavropanos on the right, Emerson is a situational centre-back there. Fine. They're going to be able to help you out in possession. They've all got progressive ability. They're all got able to pass the ball and, and the two on the outside, Emerson and Mavropanos, are going to be comfortable dribbling forward with the ball as well. Even the one in the middle can do it. A two in front of them, fine. All their job has to be is pass the ball back to them. That's it. <laughs> they can do that. Why is it that hard to implement? It's not hard. I'm not. You don't even want them to be half turn receivers. What was? Did you see Norgard do that in the game? You see Norgard at any point in the game go, yeah, like, I'm going to sell you a little dummy, throw a little spin, beat someone, and then pass the ball through to the striker. No. What he did is he received the ball, he passed it backwards, and he won his jaws. Thomas Suchek can do that. I'm sure Thomas Suchek can do that. I'm sure he could if he was given the tools to do that. So as much as I am, I'm hating on the individual performances, they deserved it. It was rubbish. It was not good enough on an individual level. As a collective, give them a chance. And we could give them a better chance in games that, like this than we're giving them. They made a lot out of the moments that we made. They should have made more. Antonio and Ben Rama should have sorted that one out. <laughs> and we should have won the game. It, I say it's game over if that goes in. But at the same time, I just think, take the moments, add the build-up principles, fine. We're home and host. As a collective, we'd be fine in games like this. We'd be drawing, if not winning. And we'd take a whole lot more points in the season. And um, yeah, it's funny. I got a message from George Clayton, who's someone I shout out on this podcast from time to time, saying... Would be nice if we could just change the manager for, for for some games. Just have Moyes for like eighty percent of the season, do all the European games or the vast majority of them, and then just throw in someone like Thomas Frank <laughs> or like Farioli or whoever you, whoever you would shout. 
for for like <laughs> games just to sort Mate, out. I'm not being funny. If it's only for a few games, he wasn't great at Ajax, but even John fucking Heitinger did some nice in possession shit with Ajax. Like, come on, surely, surely he can just be doing a little bit on the side. But I've not really seen anything um, yet. But then I don't know. Maybe he's got his Everton brain on and uh, he's just getting flashbacks of like, oh yeah, I actually played in this system before. <laughs> here's what, here's how you do it, boys. Rather than saying, hey, I actually coached Ajax once and I even coached Alvarez and Kudus and we did some lovely in possession stuff. And uh, yeah, <laughs> despite all of the shit in the background, we did play some nice football at times. And yes, Ajax is now a, a bin fire that <laughs> looks like they might even get relegated. Yeah. However, there is some lovely writing out there. Um <sighs> can't remember who it was but i think it was a tfa piece that that broke down what heighting as in possession principles actually were and and some of it is why i was really excited when we actually appointed him because i was like oh hey maybe this is us actually addressing the fact that in possession we are a bit one-dimensional and maybe we're going to bring in a coach who can add in a little bit of experience having coached a possession dominant side with some of the players that we've already got and Unfortunately, that's just not materialised at all. And I think it, it, it's potentially a consequence of Moyes bringing in a former player that he's coached. And instead of recognising his in-possession and Ajax experience, he's just gone, right, this is the season where we need to dig in and have the sort of quintessential distilled Moyes ball, which which is fair enough. There probably was an element of us needing to do that. And, and we've both said that on the pod. And unfortunately, he's dug into that aspect of John Heitinger I think rather than the the sort of potential that he could give us in possession who knows we're not in there we're not in the dressing <laughs> room I'm not on the training training pitch who knows who, who knows what's going on there look I think there are a lot of positives to Moyes and let's 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 bring some let's bring some sort of balance back in because it's been a the West Ham breakdown in its truest sense today uh, I was going to say, I don't think we've ever been this animated. No, and I, I apologise, everyone. I'm usually like as calm as calm can be before I start recording the show. Um, but we were missing key players. We were missing yep. Alvarez. We were missing Paqueta, um, We were missing Kurt Zuma. If Kurt Zuma is the player challenging uh, Collins for the third goal, it doesn't happen. If yep. Alvarez is on the pitch, we have a player who's going to take some more responsibility calm things down take the ball off the center backs the the situation we were in for near enough an hour of the game certainly 45 minutes of the game where we were just lumping it and had no control whatsoever of anything probably doesn't happen if Alvarez is on there it certainly doesn't happen if Lucas Bakatar is on there as well because then you have two players who are going to come and take some more responsibility on the ball the question marks are just there it's like can can you do things collectively as as a management team as a coaching team that can make it easier for these players when the stars are not there and actually, can those individuals do a little bit more themselves, even in yep. the, the circumstances? You know, can Ward Prowse just do some simple stuff on the ball, take it off the centre backs, do what Alvarez is doing? Does he have the, the the physical and technical abilities to do it? Yes, he does. So why is he not doing it? You know, that's the that's the question for us. And you talked about Ajax and how crap they've been this season. Um, they're missing someone, and it's the bright spark, isn't it, for for us after <laughs> this game? Kudus, great goal. Great performance. Look at the last 10 minutes, even then when we were starting to just get a little bit of something going, balls into the box. Ben Mee said no. Nathan Collins said no, but we were trying. We had something going for us in those last 10, maybe 15 minutes. Um, um, I know I'm scraping everyone. I'm sorry. But um, even then, I thought he was big, a big part of it. He was a big part of instigating those moments. And a lot of the, the, the most positive moments in the game, the best moments in the game, seemed to, to, to come from him. Um, 
he he's a sensational player and we're very lucky to have him and um and as i said about him on several occasions so far this season he just scores goals i, I don't i wouldn't call him a brilliant finisher he put one miles wide in this game i think but he scores in situations where you don't expect him to and that's a huge upside to have as a forward isn't it yeah and i think uh, a, a huge upside to have in a side that moments are few and far between we we don't create as much as some other sides and um yeah they they can be fleeting and not only do you need players that like we say can put away those half chances like he has done i mean both of the goals that he scored the one against arsenal and the one against brentford were sensational um i think there's been much made about the the touch against arsenal uh whether he actually meant to control it with the back of his heel or whether it was fortunate frankly i don't give a shit uh <laughs> it, it was great uh, it was a it was a good goal and and things like that don't happen if you don't have players like him on the pitch um but also you need those players that create the moments themselves um i think when there are moments and they fall to him, he's going to make them happen. But also when we're struggling to make things happen, he is the player that will take the the ball and drive through and create these chances. And yeah, I think in these games where we're going to struggle to create or, well, to be fair, we actually created more than, than we have done uh, recently against Brentford. Um, but in those games where you need sort of magic, he, he is the one. So I think that is the positive to take away. And I think we have discussed uh, on numerous occasions throughout the season, whether or not he's a starter, whether he's an impact player off the bench. But I think increasingly he is staking a claim for a starting position, um, rightly so, whether that's out on the right and we shuffle Bowen inside, whether that's as a sort of more advanced eight or, or whether it's even up top, who knows, um, depending on what formation we, we roll out. I think there's a place for him there somewhere. Um, and I think we have the luxury of a player that, regardless of what formation we play, there should be a space that we can squeeze him into because he has shown that he can play in central areas. He can play as an eight, as a 10, as a right winger um, and as a false nine. But whether we'll ever see Moyes try with a false nine again after the failed Gianluca Scamacca experiment at the start of last season, I, uh, I'm i not sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the highlight. And I think, yeah, the Arsenal performance was great. Um, I don't think there's much to be said about it. Um, I think, as you've said, it was... Maybe not entirely expected because Arsenal are a very good side, but no, not at all. It's when you're doing but, those post hoc. <laughs> yeah, how did that happen? That you go, oh no, yeah, yeah it's totally expected that we'd beat yeah. Arsenal and lose against Brentford. <laughs> but stylistically, it is not surprising that we fared better against yeah. a team that are happy to have possession and are going to let us hit them on the counter, and we were more clinical than we have been in those situations recently. Um, and I think those are the two positives to take away. I think that we've finished on there is that against teams that are going to want the ball, we are going to be okay uh, because we have the players to do that. Um, and hopefully <laughs> based on the first half against Brentford, when we have a full cast of squad members, if you slot in Paqueta and you slot in Alvarez, then hopefully the issues that resulted in our downfall against Brentford are less apparent because you have the players that can take control and will allow you to play out of the back more confidently because they're looking to receive the ball 24-7. Or we have those experienced players that are going to say, lads, calm the fuck down, like just chill out. So hopefully, and I guess it kind of harks back to the point that we said about a good, sometimes these things don't translate. So there's no guarantee that with these players coming in, 
the first half against Brentford happens because it hasn't happened. So what's to say it will? Uh, now I sound like a poet. However, <laughs> I wanted to finish on a positive. So, he's gone so mad. I think that's it. He's trying to talk positives and he's gone mad. He's gone loopy. He's gone totally loopy. Oh, two games yeah. coming up are a bit nervy, aren't they? Olympiacos <laughs> Forest, the big, big games for the football club, don't you think? I yeah, think... massively. I think, unfortunately, we're not in a position that we wanted to be in in the Europa at this point. I, I would have hoped that we would have won that Olympiacos game and we would have been in a much stronger position because we could have rotated and rested with a lot more confidence. However, we're now facing a tricky tie against Olympiacos that we can't rest in because we need to win it because Freiburg is arguably going to be in a trickier game, you would think, because they're just a better opposition. Um, yeah, so, and unfortunately that Bashkatopolo game is is the final, final one of the group. Um, so, we have to wait until then to be able to rotate. Whereas had we had them sooner, we might be able to go into that final game with, with more points on the board and, and be able to rest. And then the Forest game, yeah, who knows what to expect. It's a huge one. Um, it's become a huge one, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, it, it, it shouldn't have been. But I think we're probably going to be given a lot of possession again. And that has been a problem for us. And... Forest under Cooper have shown that they can turn up as they did at the weekend. I don't think many would have expected them to get the result that they did. Um, but menace in transition, yeah, Talk that's it. menace. Yeah, I can't know. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, isn't it? I think. Yeah, a brief shout from me on the on the Arsenal game would be. I thought it was one of our probably the best team performance this season. I thought we were really really good. I thought we were excellent against Arsenal. Um, Bowen, fantastic up front, worked his socks yep. off. What a fantastic performance from him. Um, definitely didn't do um, the, the Moyes-Bowen to striker conversion that seems like it's inevitable, increasingly inevitable, any harm. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen with Kudus's form and um, with Bowen putting in the performances that he has in the last two games, despite struggling in the air. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if that happened more from 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 this point on. And um, yeah, and the last thing for me on the Brentford game actually is more on a Brentford player. And everyone's going to say in chorus, in unison, when I mention his name, should have been booked, Matthias Jensen. Um, go on, do it. <laughs> should have been booked. Yeah, I've heard you. All. Um, yeah, ref. I don't know what was happening. Um, I think he's great. And. Yep. I think Brentford, there's so many players you could say this about with Brentford, but they've just done a brilliant job, haven't they, with a couple of guys that they've brought in for not much money who are just so good at certain elements of the game and they have a system that allows them to maximise those elements within those players' games. And Jensen, just what a progressive machine he is for that team. His ball's into the box. He's just so difficult to deal with. And um, I've only got one thing to say about it. Close him down. Close him <laughs> down. I can't watch him have 10 yards around him again. Don't make me do it. Next time yeah. we play them, if he doesn't get closed down, I am going to have a mental breakdown, not a West Ham breakdown. Um, <laughs> it's driving me insane. Um, but yeah, great player. Uh, and that's mostly yeah. what I wanted to say. I think he's, I think he's fantastic. Right. Analyticsunited.co.uk forward slash members. Please, please keep us going. <laughs> keep us going. Uh, maybe actually, if you don't, it would stop us from having to talk about this. Hell, yeah, yeah. When it happens, but no. Honestly, I think 
Um, like Cal said, we are going to be uh, just a typical Moyes team this season. We're going to be good without the ball and we're going to be like this, frustrating as anything um, in games where we're given more opportunity uh, to have the ball a little bit more. Um, so yeah, prepare for a season full of wonderful, unexpected joy. I think we can mm. see that happening in yeah. several games and uh, terrifying, unexpected disappointment <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. on, on several occasions too. Um, so yeah, thanks Cal. Thanks for suffering with me through this. And, um, <laughs> Someone's got to do it. <laughs> and we'll be back next week for a chat about two very, 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 very big games now. Um, one very important for the Europa League and getting that back on track and one just super, super important for the Premier League. Um, let's hope for the best. I know I think six points is possible, but I also think these are two really annoying, niggly teams that have certain elements that are going to cause us problems that we've seen before crop up this season in big ways already. Um, one thing I am sure that we're going to need is big performances from our best players. So Lucas Paqueta, Edson Alvarez, Kurt Zuma, hopefully coming back into yep. the team. Um, certainly Alvarez and Paqueta. And we're going to need some of those, what we saw at the start of the season, some of those Paqueta 10 out of 10s. We need them and we need them now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah. I think that's the big part, isn't it? It, it needs to happen now because I think, well, I dread to think what would happen if we come away with zero points because I think it would be a real, a real horrible we, place. Yeah, by the way, we should say we should make this absolutely clear. I don't think that means West Ham are getting relegated. I don't think that means you know this the the alarmist stuff that comes out sometimes from certain outlets to do with West Ham. Not for me. I don't. I think yep. we're fine this season. More what concerns me is what happens to the confidence of the group and what happens to the fan base. We're so important. Look what the fan base was like in the Arsenal game, how much we lifted the team, how good that relationship was for 90 minutes. If that weight of expectation comes alongside a general sense of disappointment, it breeds toxicity. It makes it difficult for everyone to perform to their best level. It makes everyone unhappy. So that's what I'm worried about. It's not our West Ham going to get relegated. It's, it's just, is could this season just drift away into nothing? after a positive start that gave us a platform to try and be competitive in the cup competitions and go far um, in on all fronts. Um, and I still think that's possible. I still really think that's possible. I think we're a good cup team and we could come away. <laughs> Anyone from remember season. last season? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Come away with this from this season with really great memories that come from the cup competitions. Let's just keep the league season trundling along, not falling dramatically with no <laughs> no yeah. end in sight um so yeah uh, anyway enough rambling come on you irons see you all next week thanks for tuning in sports social podcast network